0: from who uh, I believe this morning's message will it's you can apply it to every age group okay so this morning as we talk through these things I want to show you uh, this morning's sermon is blame and blessing and the idea and the concept is how you and I operate with the others of your life and of my life and we're going to see that in this passage this morning as Elijah and Ahab uh, operate in their life. You know, where have we been the last couple weeks? Well, we've been talking about the concept of leadership and the kings and how they failed and the splitting of the kingdoms between uh, uh, Judah and Israel and and what happened to uh, really set the kingdom up for failure. And a lot of it fell on bad leadership. The other piece would be, well, a king is only a king, so if they want to make bad decisions, let them make it on their own. So that brings the responsibility to everyone. Do the same thing with churches. You can do the same thing in your homes. Uh, We can do the same thing with our government even today. Where the idea is, well, they want to take us in a bad direction. Well, you don't have to follow. You don't have to follow your husband. If they're going to go against God's will, you don't have to follow your wife. If they're going to go against God's will, you don't have to follow your children. You don't have to follow your pastor. You don't have to follow your deacons. You don't have to follow your president, your senator, or your governor. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this blame, uh, this accountability gets shared. These kings are making bad decisions, and they're leading people down roads to failure. But the people don't have to follow. And you can say, well, that means I'm going to have to pay a price. Absolutely. Dig your heels in on the side of righteousness. There will be prices to pay. And we're going to see that this morning as we read through First uh, Kings 18. But we've been in dying for leadership. The, the, the diminishing and eventual design, the demise of coffee. Hang on. I have had way too much coffee this morning. So I'm going to apologize right now. I'm going to get my composure, And we're going to get back into reading these notes and reading the scripture. Me and the baby were up last night for 75 minutes with Layla having a little party from 1.45 until 3. I believe I've over-caffeinated myself to compensate for this morning. All right? So, let's try again. The diminishing and eventual demise of both kingdoms starts in bad leadership decisions. It ends in following bad leadership. God has always shown himself powerful enough to overthrow any king, any government, anything, That got in his way or tried to curse his people. He has done it since the dawn of man. And he will do it today. The nation of Israel had people that stood against uh, bad leadership. And we see God side with them constantly. The end of chapter 18 is that exact picture. And we'll get there next week. Partly because I don't want to read through the passage with the children here. Because some of the stuff in it is, is both hysterical and uh, uh, a, a m- more mature audience. 16 and 17, what do we talk about? Becoming a pejorative. Dr. Evil, King Ahab. How do you become like an Ahab? You live your evil out loud. You outdo your ancestors in all their evil. You marry knowingly the wicked. Now, I told you all last week, and I will reiterate this since our church is so young. Finding yourself in a position that you have changed since you got married is different than walking into a marriage with someone that doesn't believe like you do. God forbids the unequal yoking of Christians to non-believers. Why is that? Why would he do such a thing? There's so many eligible, wonderful people out there that don't know Him, don't love Him, and don't want to live like you do. Why? Because when you're married to someone that's not going in the same direction, you will constantly be at odds. And it might be okay when you're single. Have children and try to rear them as a Christian with somebody that chooses not to. So God gives us uh, wisdom moving forward in a way that, that we can dodge these massive potholes and sometimes cliffs. That people drive over because, well, I love that person. They're attractive. They're fun. They're nice to me. They've given me a little bit of attention. They marry them and figure out, wait a second, this person wants nothing to do with scripture, God, his will. So walking into that is a devastating sin. And you will pay a price, you young ones here that are that are looking and 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 you're you're going to college and you're Courting people, and you're trying to figure out, you know, can I love this person? Can we be together? Listen, if they don't love the Lord and they don't act like it, you run the other direction and wait. One of the most wicked things Ahab did was marry someone he shouldn't have married. Now, you say if you're in a situation right now where you've got saved, they have got saved, life is different, there's grace there. There's grace there. And actually, the New Testament addresses this very idea. If you've got saved and you're married to an unbeliever, love them, pray for them because they're going to reside under a piece of your blessing. Don't do ungodly things with them, but love them, pray for them. And God has used that kind of testimony to, be, to bring many uh, to his saving grace. One of which is, is a real big one to watch their testimony is uh, Case for Christ with Lee Strobel. wrote a book, but they made a movie about it. His testimony was so strong that his wife became a Christian and knew Jesus intimately and he ended up following suit. And now he is one of the the best apologetics uh, preachers and teachers in the world uh, because his wife um, got saved and really, really lived it. Don't marry the wicked. Don't marry someone that doesn't love your Lord. Don't marry someone that doesn't honor Christ. Don't marry someone that doesn't open their Bible and read it. I promise you, you will save yourself a lot of headache. Wait for the right one. What else did Ahab do? He worshipped demons, the Baals and the Asherah. And what else did he do? He was so wicked that he provoked the Lord. So as we've seen God interact in the Old Testament, we know what's coming. You cannot live this way and get away with it. But what did I tell you last week? And what did I tell you for us in our culture, whether you're at work in a hard place, you go to school in a hard place, you're living on a mission field um, that is that is surrounded by people that don't know the Lord or you work in one uh, or you go to school or you work in a school where you're surrounded by people that don't know the Lord. What happens out of the wickedness, out of the shadow of wickedness, God calls heroes. And last week we were introduced to one in Elijah. Elijah comes forward in last week's passage, he, he he digs his heels in and he honors the Lord by giving the king a hard message. And what was the message he gave the king? It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Why? Because you've dishonored God. And so the whole kingdom is going to suffer with you because you have made a poor decision and they have followed. And so we're introduced to this hero last week that steps forward. We're introduced to someone that wants to honor God above every earthly power or authority. That needs to be the people you and I are right now. This needs to be our testimony that when the word of God is not followed, you and I will step in and we will lovingly and kindly push back. Will it cost us? You better believe it. What will we get in return? We will get the power, the presence of God, the joy and the peace of God. And one day we will hear, well done. Blessing or blaming? You see, the others are the reason you and I are here. Ultimately, bringing honor and glory to Christ is based primarily off how you and I treat each other. How we interact with the world. How we deal with the others in our life. Family, friends, church, community, where you work. I've told you before, many, many times, Jesus said, the world's going to know you love me by the way you love one another. And it sounds funny, but you've got to say it all the time. It's not the cross on your neck. It's not the Jesus fish on your car, especially if you're cutting people off in traffic. It's not how you pray in public when you get the opportunity. It's not that stuff. It's how you and I interact as believers that points to the glory and the majesty of King Jesus. That's, those are his words, not mine. And so the others in our life become a very, very important topic. How we deal with people, how we interact with them, what does it show? It shows the light and the goodness of God, or it shows the darkness and the sin of my soul. And that's the idea of blessing or blaming. You see, people are a stewardship given by God, or they can be an enticement of a scapegoat given by the enemy. And so all the people in our lives are going to fall into one of these two categories. They are a steward to love and bless and care for. And young ones, I need you to listen to me because it applies to you. If you are old enough to understand how you are to treat someone properly, this applies to you. You can bless people or you can blame them, curse them, hurt them. And you and I are required to be a blessing. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. You and I should be dealers in life. And sometimes that life hurts. Like a surgeon that has to reset a bone or cut out an infection. And sometimes it's just like water to the soul. In a dry and weary land, you and I are blessing people by loving them well. By taking care of them. By treating them properly. They are a stewardship given by God. And you and I are going to give an account for how we've treated them. See, I know when I line up before King Jesus one day and I give an account for my life, my wife will be brought up. My children will be brought up. My family will be brought up. My church will be brought up. The people that I work with will be brought up. And those that I have loved and cared about in the past, they will all be brought up. My life will be judged on how I have blessed them, even when we disagree. That's the bar. That is the active way we show how the Word of God is changing our lives. How you and I interact with each other. A lot of people can claim to know Jesus or to love Him. But man, the percentages really dip when it comes to people that actually live like Him. People that actually treat their spouses with respect and love and care. Children that actually uh, treat their parents with respect and love and care. That honor them properly. Interactions as churches where this should be the this should be the safest place in the world. Right here in this building with you and I together. And sometimes it is just not so. So the others are the reason we're here. They are the soil out of which our character blooms. You want to know who you are. How do you treat other people? Man, it is so easy to be selfish. It is so easy to be happy and go lucky if it's just you. Right. watch what you want, eat what you want go where you want, sleep when you want but boy, that friction of just someone else a marriage, a kid somebody calls in need boy, that really brings out the fruit of who we really are it really shows what we actually believe about scripture why? because it's it's really easy to be joy filled when it's just you it's really easy to be happy when it's just you And so this soil will show who we are. The fruit of my life will come out and how I interact with other people. We bless them by drawing them into God's mission with us or we're used to their mission forward. Something you are doing to bless someone right now either brings them into your mission with God or you're helping push them into theirs with the Lord. Be as simple as the kindness being shown to a stranger. What are you doing? You're bringing them into the will of God. Your mission on earth is to look like Christ. And you have an opportunity to do it to someone that works at the gas station, to someone that you pass in the street or you pass at the grocery store. You get the opportunity to look in the blessed, sometimes in just spurts. But that's the mission of God, to be salt and light wherever you go. Sometimes you get prolonged periods where you're bringing them into your mission or you're helping them with theirs. You're also blessing them. It's what we do as a church body. We gather here to prepare each other to do the mission. You look around and you think, man, I have help. I have resources. I've always been stunned at our little church and the amount of resources that are here. The knowledge to do something and the equipment or whatever else you need, the resources to get it done. And there's almost nothing in the world this group of people could not accomplish. Why? Because we're doing God's mission together. So as you and I come together... Inviting you into my mission to help me, you're inviting me into yours to help you. Why? For the honor and glory of God and the building of his kingdom. So we're blessing each other, or we're blaming them, or using them, and we allow their actions to dictate our personal character or our spiritual life. Now kids, I need you to listen to me. You want to curse your character and you want to curse the rest of your life. Never take ownership. Always blame someone else. The scariest part about that idea is you will never be right with the Lord. Ever. If your first initial reaction is to blame someone else or maybe you just, you're just you feeling generous that day so you want to take 75% of the blame and you want to give 25% to someone else. Why? Because they treated you poorly or they were mean to you. That's not... How God operates. Someone sins against me and I sin in return. I have to apologize 100%. I have to own it. But yeah, but what if they were really mean to you? Well, then I have to look at the cross of Christ. This this personal uh, interactions, especially with kids, you have to be careful. The insults will drive you to do things you should not do. There's no physical harm involved. It's an insult. It's a frustration. Somebody told a lie on you. Somebody did this. Somebody did that. So you react in kind. And then you say, well, I did do that, but I only did that because so-and-so did this. So really, it's their fault. That's not how the Christian life operates. I am responsible and accountable for every word, every interaction that comes out of my mouth That is delivered by my hand. That doesn't look like Christ. And it doesn't matter what the influences are pushing against me. Young ones, I beg you to learn this lesson. From the youngest of ages. And we're going to see it in Ahab this morning as we read the passage. From the youngest of ages, we are so prone. If we can't give it all away, we'll give 75% or 50% or 25% of it to someone else. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but... Right? How many parents have heard that? How many people in the school system has heard that? I always see that hand. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did what I was, supposed do, But so-and-so was tempting me, right? The whole devil made me do a thing, or or everybody else was doing it, so I thought I would get in, or I wanted to retaliate, or my feelings were hurt, so I lashed out. These are things that will curse your life. Why? Psalm 51 says against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. So David's taking complete ownership of what he has done and then he is also laying it at the feet of the one he actually sinned against. When you and I sin against other people, we are actually sinning against the one that made them. And so when you and I sin against each other, when we harm each other, we're actually sinning against their creator. And so we need to be very, very mindful of that, that my repentance starts with 100% ownership of my actions. Look at 1 Kings 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. We're going to read the first six verses together. In the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over... The household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive, and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. And Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went. In another direction by himself. Verses 1 through 6. What do we see? There's no water and there's hard soil. This is the same thing spiritually speaking. Some people are so dry. Some people are so barren. That the soil of their life is hard. There are circumstances there that make them hard to till. And a lot of times we need to be in prayer deeply for these people. That the Lord would work. That he would send some rain to soften that soil. But that's what we see in this passage. For three years, there's been no rain. This is a very hard time period. People are sinning, and they're sinning more, and Ahab is getting more wicked, and Jezebel is getting more wicked, and they're just getting uh, more and more overt. And in that, there's a very hard soil to till. It's barren. There is no water. Some people live like that constantly. And so I want to say this to you this morning, that we need to pity and we need to pray for some of those that don't have access to to what you have access to. And what do you have access to? This is water. This place is life. Even on days you don't feel it and you come here and we gather together as the body of Christ, there is life here. There is water. There is nourishment. There is refreshment. And God help us if we're not too proud to ask, there's always help. Always help. Do you realize that in the world we live in, some people never get that. Everywhere they set their foot is barren and hard. And you and I take it for granted. And We can come here and love each other well, and I can have your best interest in mind, and you can have my best interest in mind, and some people have no clue what that is like. And yet the church that God is building is a place of complete refreshment. You need help, we got it. You reach out, someone's got you. You need food because of this is going on, someone gets it done. Listen, sometimes we're scattered and some things get missed. We are just humans. And me worse than anybody else. For the most part of my 10 years of being here, when someone needed something and they reached out, we were able to accommodate in some way that just lifted the burden a little bit. Poured a little water on that soil. The nation of Israel is living in a time of hard soil i would remind you of chapter 17 the degree of assurance follows directly the degree of difficulty and a couple years ago when i read through this passage i scribbled in my bible what's that say about my prayer life remember the passage before with the widow what happened well the word of god says the the oil and the flour are not going to run out and they don't and so god's word is proven true we get later on in the passage and the sun dies And Elijah walks him up to his bedroom, and he lays him down on the bed, and he prays, and God raises him back to life. And the widow says, now I know you are a prophet of God. Like, the flour and the oil wasn't enough. It took a little more. It took another level of struggle. What we're getting ready to see in chapter 18 is the exact same thing. The level of struggle is going to show who is in charge and whose word is true. It's going to take us to the end of chapter 18 next week to see it play out full circle. But this is setting the stage for that. The widow learned incrementally that God's word was true. The nation of Israel is going to learn it too. Only well, they're going to learn it in, in a way that is way more supernatural. So the famine is in year three, and it is a tremendous time of suffering. The king is now separating his livestock, trying to make sure all of them don't die, or he's separating his kingdom to go find a place that they can feed and drink without all dying. Like That's how harsh the time is. And diet is a man that fears the Lord. And what happens in this passage is we see sometimes you're going to be in a position where the person above you does not fear God. It's a very wicked individual. And you and I have to maintain our testimony. We have to do the things that God would call us to do, even if it means not doing what they require. Ahab and Jezebel had cut off the prophets of God, meaning either killed them or basically made them homeless without food. And what does Obadiah do? He takes a hundred of them and he hides them. Two caves of 50. He feeds them and brings them water. And he's doing this on repeat. Did he lie to the king? Probably. But what was the other avenue? To watch the king kill a hundred more prophets. To watch Jezebel kill a hundred more prophets. He did the right thing at a hard time. So we see he is a man of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go and tell your lord, uh, behold, Elijah is here. Elijah's other in this passage is Obadiah. Look at verse 9 with me. Uh, we're going to read on his response. And he said, Have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So what's going on? We're going to see as we read through this passage. But Elijah's telling Obadiah, You go tell the king that I'm here. You can tell the king that I want to talk to him. And Obadiah's response is, what have I done to you that you want to see me slaughtered? There's a decision to be made by Obadiah. Is he going to obey the word of the Lord through his prophet? Or is he not going to obey and try to save himself some struggle? And the, the modern church has taken so many pains to remove the teeth out of every command of God. I've heard, I think it was Bodhi Bauckham, I've heard him before say, you know, passages die the death of a thousand qualifications. Meaning we we read what the word of the Lord is, but yet we want to nuance it out so that we don't offend anybody, hurt anybody's feelings, or run anybody off. And you can't do it that way. Elijah is looking at Obadiah, and he is getting ready to put him on a mission from God that has teeth. And he didn't remove him. He didn't dumb it down. He didn't try to make it more friendly or easy. You want to be a part of the mission with God? Sometimes you're going to have to do hard things. And Obadiah is in the process of making that. But the Lord is gracious. Look at verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation. Here's Obadiah responding to Elijah. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent Uh, To seek you and when they would say he is not here He would take an oath of the kingdom or the nation that they had not found you And now you say go tell your lord behold elijah is here And as soon as I have gone from you the spirit of the lord will carry you uh, Away I know not where and so when I come to tell ahab that and he cannot find you He will kill me although I your servant have feared the lord from my youth Has it not been told to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men and the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. So what's Obadiah do? Right? He starts talking. Let me tell you, I love that God is so merciful with us psalm says he understands that you and i are but dust we are just dust and god understands that so we see it in the book of job you see it in the psalms when you read through the the grieving and the pains of the heart of people when you're dealing with hard things it's not like the lord says just do it it's not like he smites you and i as soon as we offer a pushback Job goes, if you read the book of Job, you see grief and pain the whole way through. You see questions and struggle and tears and sorrow. And God never says, Job, sinned. That should fascinate us and draw us close to a loving and honorable God. Because he looks at you like a loving father and he draws you and I in even as we're throwing a fit. And Obadiah looks at Elijah and he says, man, do you not all know all the stuff, number one, the king has sent people looking for you. When they come back and tell you they didn't find you, he makes them swear. And what does that mean in this passage? If you're lying, I'm lopping off your head. That's what it means. And so Obadiah says, well, Elijah, you're, going to te- you're telling me to go talk to him. Tell him you're here and you want to speak to him. And then when I come back, you're not going to be here. The Lord is going to take you somewhere I know not where. And I'm going to end up paying with my life. And so Obadiah is negotiating these things out. He is working through this process. He's been given a task with teeth. And instead of just saying no or just saying yes, you and I get to see what really happens in life. Most people struggle. And Obadiah struggles. Verses 10 to 14, you and I are to bring people with us on mission. But sometimes that means they're going to ask some hard questions. Obadiah would say, you're asking me to stick my neck out, Elijah. Do you really want me to do that? Does God really want me to do that? You're asking me to initiate this and be bold. Does God really want me to do that? You're asking me to trust you, Elijah. Like, I know you're a man of God, but I'm putting everything I have in who you are because I believe what you have to say is what God wills. You're asking me to turn my life over. And I like this one. Some people that struggle with the will of God, they land in this one really hard. You're asking me to give up some of the things that I'm already doing that are good. Obadiah would basically basically looking at Elijah and saying, if I get killed, who's going to take care of these hundred prophets? And so you can see he is struggling with what is going on. Look at verse 15 and 16. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I surely will show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. The only great commission response you and I have to the world is, I will be there with you. It's the same response Jesus gives to the disciples before he sends them off to change the world. Sometimes when we give these commands with teeth, Well, we give this lifestyle that is so hard to live. It bends against our flesh. It pushes against our culture. And you and I are looking at people and saying, yes, but if we don't do this, there is no blessing. Sometimes the only thing you and I have to offer them is I'm walking the road with you. And that is the essence of discipleship. That's the essence of the Great Commission. To love people and to do life with them. They have come to know the Lord, and now you and I come beside them. We live life with them. We push and we move forward. We love them well. We train them, and God uses us to take care of them. Sometimes as we look at the kids here, sometimes in school you've got someone that God has put on your heart. There's a young one there that their whole life is super hard, and the greatest thing you can do with them is just live life with them. Eat lunch with them. Speak to them. Care for them. And you just water that ground. Even though when they leave your home, it's a hard place. When they deal with other people, it's a hard place. Some of them are in the foster system. It's a hard place. And you're just watering that ground just by being there and being close to them. You and I give hard commands. And then the best thing we can do for these people is say, I'm going to be here to live it with you. And that's what Elijah tells Obadiah. I've asked you to do a hard thing, but I am going to be there. It's what Jesus would tell the disciples in the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And at the end of it, he says, I will never leave you. This is the essence of the Great Commission. Living life together, even though hard things are required. Look at verse 17 as we get ready to wrap up. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab sins. Ahab turns his back on God. Ahab blames the messenger. Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Blaming is not second nature. Blaming someone else is not second nature. It's first nature. The sin nature in us, it is first nature to blame someone else. It's their fault, not mine. Why? Well, you inherited it from Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. From the fruit Adam? Well, I did, but the woman you gave me, Adam shared it 50-50, and neither 50 was with him. Right? Eve, That you gave me, man, the audacity of that moment, right? Like, really, Dad, it's your fault, right, that I wrecked the car. You gave it to me. It's really your fault. So you and I have inherited that. It's our first nature. It's not our second nature. Adam blamed Eve and God. Oh, my. And Eve blamed who? The serpent. The serpent tricked me. You know, I didn't want to disobey, but I was tricked. So it's not second nature to blame others. It's first nature. And parents, when we're rearing these children to honor the Lord and to love them well, you have to see this and you have to kill it. You have to cut it off. What you smack your brother for? Well, they smacked you first. Okay. Well, then don't blame them. Come find me. Let me fix it. Well, they did this or they did that, or you watch your children and they blame their friends or they blame their entertainment or they blame whatever else, right? Listen, you and I have to kill that because that tendency will curse their whole life. What happens in it? Ahab the wicked, Dr. Evil himself blames Elijah for Israel's problems. It's his first instinct. Oh, is it you, troubler of Israel? The world reacts now in the same manner, so does my flesh. This derivative of pride, this is a a piece of pride. I can't take ownership for my failure. It has to be someone else's fault. And as you and I watch our culture dip its toe, its foot, its leg, half its body into people being victims constantly, you and I are going to see this will lead nowhere good. People will constantly feel like they cannot overcome circumstances or they don't have to God help us when that happens that's not how God operates you're not a victim in Christ you are a victor because of what Jesus has done get out of the mud dust yourself off and get living productively and blessing other people instead of being a curse to your family or your church or society you are not a victim you are more than a conqueror that's what scripture would say and your circumstances do not dictate how God has blessed you and taken care of you. The derivative of this pride curses everything in life. It will curse your relationships, your future, your character, and ultimately it will curse your eternity. Look at verse 18 with me. And he answered, and Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. 19. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. As they come this morning to play, the truth is unleashed. Truth will win out. If you and I are living a truth that is false, it will come to light. And that the Lord is merciful and gracious, it will come to light now. He will let you and I run out of time of living in our sin and have to deal with it now. Why? Because ultimately if we don't and we show up at His throne, the band-aid is ripped off. Do you understand what I'm saying? There will be no one there to blame. There will be no excuse that can be made. When God is merciful, He pulls, uh, even though it is uncomfortable and hard, and we're living in sin and we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, and God removes that now, you and I get a chance to deal with it. We get a chance to repent. Some people have died in their sin and they woke up looking at the fiery eyes of King Jesus and finding out that their will on earth had been done and they woke up in His presence where the mask was torn off and the glory of God was revealed. Every person that dies without Jesus as Savior, that is their initial moment. But even Christians that have lived their life and squandered certain portions of their life have woken up and realized that their truth that they were living was false. And now there was nowhere to hide or nobody to hide behind. The Lord has the final say. Our diversions and excuses stop where His presence entered and His limit is reached. There's a proving ground for truth that we're living in this life or when we meet him so here's my question to you how are you treating your others how are you treating your others are you blessing them or are you blaming them am i cursing or diverting From my sin, am I leading into temptation or harming their character and and testimony through blaming them? You know, blaming someone else and gossip. They have a tendency to just run. Discord, it has a tendency to just run, right? Like, I've messed up, but I'm going to make sure that everybody else has to share a little bit of that. So a lot of times, I won't even keep it to myself or within the people that are involved. I like to tell it to some other people. Why? Because my sin is getting ready to be exposed. And when it's exposed, I want to make sure that I don't have to take 100%. Of what's going on. I want to bring some other people along. and Destroy their character and destroy their testimony. So I curse them by telling my side of the story. Instead of owning my sin and loving my Lord. I was speaking to some people uh, newer to the church a while back. And had to relive one of the moments where this had been done to me. Where the, the idea that I was standing on scripture and trying to help someone work through it now have blown back on my character that I got to share some of the blame for some of the things that they had done. And as a pastor, as a leader, as an elder, as a parent, you will constantly have to deal with that. You're going to have to take some of their credit. What are you going to do? You're going to quit standing on truth? Or are you going to stand firm and try to make sure that they are the right soil for the Lord to bless? Parents, especially with teenagers, you're going to dig your heels in? Right? You're going to help them work through their character when it's bad and poor? Because it is, mine was, your was, yours was, don't lie. It's part of growing up. Or, am I loving, encouraging, pushing in truth, and desiring to bring my others into this story with the Lord and me? Your character is going to be exposed by how you answer that question truthfully. Do you treat others well, or do you curse them? Do you blame them, do you use them? Why? Because that's your character. That's not theirs. We need to be salt and light and love. Just you stand with me this morning as they play? If you don't know the Lord that makes that possible, I would beg you to find someone and sort that out. If you do know him, then I would remind you that he equips you to live that way even when it's hard. If Jesus could do it on the cross and Stephen could do it when they were stoning him, you and I can do it in this world when somebody speaks ill of us. You and I can do it. Why? Because the God was in us can do it and desire to do it.